Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted to be with you today. If you are new or visiting with us, thank you for being here. We're so glad to have you. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have live online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They'd love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you. We want you to feel connected to what is going on here in this community, no matter where the Lord has you today. So participate in that chat. We encourage you to get connected and engaged throughout the service. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand in body or in spirit for our call to worship today, which comes from Psalm 150. And if you're wondering why it is we do a call to worship every week, why we specifically pull a passage of Scripture to open our time together, it is an intentional reminder that it is God himself who invites us to worship. Worship is our response to him. We don't have to beg God to show up here. He actually is here already and inviting us in. And so our call to worship today comes from Psalm 150, and it says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Am I going to see any of you praising him with dance this morning? Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding symbols. Praise him with loud clashing symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our voices and worship together this morning. Let's sing this out together. been set free, running out of the grave, set free, all my sin washed away, set free, breaking out of the Grace, I will love you all my days, all my days. 
From Revelation chapter 19, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come his bride has made herself ready. Who else would rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine? Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing. This
worship. My life is yours.
Jesus, we know you never tire of hearing us sing your praises. We could sing the same words over and over and over again for eternity, and you would never grow tired of hearing us sing that you are good. Good is endlessly and eternally true. You are not only good, you are the definition of goodness. You are the definition of love. And so we come today and we give you what we know how to give. Knowing that we come imperfectly. We come with brokenness. We come remembering the mistakes we made this week. The grief and the shame that we bear. We bring it all before you, Jesus. We know that by your blood, by the cross and the empty grave, our broken offering is perfect and holy and acceptable before you. So Jesus, we bring you what we have. We trade our yoke for yours because your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Spirit, will you impress on each heart today that it's okay and it's time to lay the burden down. The burden of shame or guilt, regret, fear or doubt. Spirit, will you guide us, lead us to lay these things down before you. To surrender anything to you that might be keeping us from stepping fully into the people you've called us to be, people who are unified with you, who are walking in step with your spirit, who are living lives of joy and purpose. Father, we thank you that you're present with us in this time. We thank you that you are moving in the hearts and lives of each one in this room. And those who are online, wherever you have them today, you are equally present there. So Spirit, will you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts that we might be receptive to what you have today. All of this is for you, and it's for your glory that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, Springbrook. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Andy Suarez. Um, I'm one of the elders here, and it's great to see you guys. Uh, we were made to be worshiping in community, and that's what we're doing here today, and I'm, I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to have the people that are with us online. Um, I'm just going to go through a few different events that we have going on, um, but before we do that, uh, if you're here in person, there's a connections card on the row that you're sitting in. Um, if you want to Get us your information so that we can reach out and see how you're doing. Um, if you have any prayer requests or maybe you have some praises that you want our prayer team to lift up to God uh, along with you, uh, we'd love to see those online. There's a link on um, top right, I think it is, for Connections card. You can do the same thing right through there. Um, we have a few different events that are going on. Kid City, uh, this is exciting. September 11th, um, I think it was in, when COVID started, we kind of shut down and then we came back and we didn't have enough volunteers to do both services, but starting September 11th, 
infant through fourth grade is going to, we're going to have that open for the 9 and the 11 a.m. service. That's, that's a really cool thing. Um, thank you guys for praying for people to um, volunteer for that. I know it's taken a whole bunch more people to be able to make that happen, and I know Michelle's got a few more spots still that we need to get filled, but it's, it's really been going well, and thank you for that. Fifth and sixth grade is still going to be only at the 11 a.m. service. Um, the other thing we have going on, we have Awana starting up soon. It feels like it just finished. It finished, I think, in May. But we're starting back up again. If you've got clubbers, if you've got kids that want to be in Awana, um, you can find out more information at springbrook.org slash Awana. Um, we're also looking for leaders. I know there's a leader meeting that's coming up at the end of August. So if you're interested in becoming a leader in Awana, um, we have several different ways that you can you can lead from actually like leading a small group to just helping out. Uh, so whatever your comfort level is, you can find out more information at springbrook.org slash Awana. And uh, we also have our Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry has been doing just so good. It's been growing, and it's cool because we're now having men's and women's groups that are going to be meeting on Tuesdays. Uh, so if, if you have any hurts, habits, hang-ups uh, that you want to have the opportunity to work through, we'd love to have you come join us. Uh, you can find out more information at springbrook.org recovery. Uh, these are just a few of the things that are going on. We've got workshops going on right now. We've got a How to Study the Bible and a Gifts workshop and a whole bunch of different things going on. You can find all this information out at springbrook.org, or you can find it out in our springbrook.org app. So if you don't have that, go ahead and get that. Um, Pastor Tim is going to be out in just a few minutes. Enjoy the service. morning. You know, we're accustomed to seeing logos and uh, 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 team shirts all around us. We're getting ready to go into a, uh, uh, another uh, uh, busy sports season. Uh, some of you are aware of that. Some of you are dreading that. But uh, I, I would imagine we're going to start to see some different color, um, like blue and gold and then like some green shirts in here. We don't talk about those, right? But uh, uh, we're, we're, we're accustomed to that. In fact, uh, often uh, we look around us and whether it be companies or, or stores that we shop at or whether it be sports teams that we follow and support, we're, we're used to seeing their mark, their logo, their indication. And what that does when somebody wears one of those shirts is it tells us that they are identifying themselves with that particular group. And actually, all throughout history, there have been, uh, this, there's been this, this idea of, of uh, using some sort of imagery to identify yourself with a particular group. And so in ancient days, people would go out to war, and they would go out under a standard, a, a flag that was flown that would go out before them. Sometimes those symbols, those icons, those images have been positive ones in that they have been something that somebody has willingly chosen to identify themselves with that. At other times, tragically throughout history, they are marks that have been forced upon people, like the way that the Jews were forced to wear a mark 
by the Nazis during the era of World War II. Or in the way that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, in particular in heavily Islamic countries, are marked with this symbol that I have on my shirt. This Arabic letter, Noon, which is the first letter in the word Christian, and how ISIS and other groups have painted this on the homes of followers of Christ in order to identify them for persecution. Or even the fact that in many uh, uh, Arabic-speaking countries around the world, you'll go there, and even on somebody's driver's license, it is marked with the equivalent of what would be either an M for Muslim or, or uh, actually this letter indicating that somebody is a Christian. And if somebody wants to go and to change their identification, if they want to say, I was born a Muslim, but I've come to be a follower of Christ, they literally take their life into their hands by having that designation changed. We're accustomed to seeing all sorts of distinguishing marks that help us to understand. And those, those, those marks can at times be helpful because what they do is they, they identify who is a part of a particular group and who is not. Well, you may or may not be aware of this, but there is a very real sense in which for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, while not painted with a mark, while not stamped with a mark, while not carrying necessarily a sign, that we have been called to live lives of distinction, lives that put on display for a watching world to see the fact that we are identified with Jesus Christ. But, but what exactly does that look like? And what exactly does that mean? And how do we live our lives in such a way that without necessarily emblazoning it on our shirt, but rather through the way that we walk each day, that we first remind ourselves and that we second bear witness to others of the fact that we have been placed in this incredible relationship with the God of all the universe. Well, over these last few weeks, we have been looking together at the life of a man by the name of Abraham. And he's often referred to in the scriptures as being one of the great heroes of the faith. But we've discovered together as we've been traveling through several passages in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, that he was a man very much like us in the sense that while he was a great hero of the faith, while he wanted to honor and obey the Lord, he, he faced struggles. Uh, he messed up. He frequently found himself at the crossroads of faith and fear, wanting to obey but afraid of what that might mean. And if you were here last week, we saw how Rather than waiting on God, he and his wife took matters into their own hands, and it caused a mess. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I certainly hope you do. I want to invite you to join me once again in 
the Old Testament book of Genesis as once again we kind of peer over Abraham's shoulder and we see how God is, is, is calling him to live a, a life of distinction. In, in, in fact, how just like in Abraham's life, so it is also true today that God himself has pledged himself in love to us. And he has called us to live distinctly before him. Genesis chapter 17. Would you join me there this morning? Genesis 17, beginning in verse 1, we read, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, that is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, one of the things I want us to be aware of, because we looked at this passage in in, uh, Genesis chapter 15 a couple of weeks ago, is that there we talked about the fact that God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. That is, that God said, I promise this. This is the covenant I am making with you. And I am the only one who will bring this to pass. Abraham, you have no responsibility in this for the, uh, the fulfillment of this. I am pledging myself. Now, there are some scholars who look at this passage now in chapter 17 and say, well, this seems to be a separate covenant. I think that more likely what is taking place here is that God is actually, in a sense, saying, I will uphold the covenant that I made to you. You see, even here at the beginning of this chapter, we've already learned that Abraham is 99 years old. Now, if we were studying together consecutively through everything, and even as we've seen in in the last few weeks, that means it's been 24 years since God promised him, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's been waiting for 24 years. And he's now 99 years old. As we'll learn later in the chapter, his wife Sarai is 89 years old. And so even from where we were last week when we were in Genesis chapter 16, this has actually been uh, 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 um, still a number of years later. 13 years later, in fact. And God is reminding him again that he has not forgotten the promise he made to Abraham. He remains faithful. And so he's saying, I will make with you, I will uphold with you my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you greatly. And then we're told in verse 3, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So God here is changing his name uh, from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And again, this was a part of the promise that God had made to, we'll call him Abraham now because I've been messing up in the pronunciation uh, uh, back and forth, but uh, uh, that he made to Abraham 
that he would not only have one son, that he would not only have an heir of promise, but through him that they, he would have offspring as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. He says, in, in, in testimony to this, I'm giving you a new name. You shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I love this when we see these sorts of statements here in Scripture. Because uh, does he have the son of promise yet? No, he doesn't. Uh, not only does he not have the son of promise, but he certainly doesn't have multiple nations. But God declares to him, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And so what's happening here is that God, in a sense, in the throne room of heaven, has declared this to be true. He has, uh, he, he has stated it as something, even though it is not yet, as if it were, because it absolutely will be. He has determined it. And so it will come to pass. And then he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So here we, we, we see, in a sense, a reiteration of the promise of the covenant that God has previously made. But more than that, we see that God in this passage, He pledged Himself in love, in a covenant love to Abraham and his offspring. And the same is, is true even to, towards those of us who are His people today. That God Himself has pledged Himself in covenant love. To his people. Here we see this idea again of the, of the covenant, of this certain promise. And we see that as God meets with Abraham and declares himself to be God Almighty or El Shaddai, that he is declaring the fact that as the God Almighty, as the all-powerful one, I am capable of fulfilling this. Sometimes even in our own lives, we just simply need to remind ourselves of who it is that we have believed. I mean, we sing songs of praise to God and declare these great truths, but when we find ourselves in the midst of stuff, do we stop and remember who it is that we serve? Is your God, God Almighty? Or is your picture of God something less? Because you see, if we're talking about God Almighty, God all-powerful, God who reigns over all things, who holds all power and all authority in His hand, then you better believe that you are not without help in the midst of that thing that seems hopeless. 
that there is one who stands by your side in that deep pain. Who not only sees and knows and understands, but who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we might ask or imagine. He's El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. But as God meets with Abraham, declaring himself as God Almighty, he again states that he will make Abraham into a multitude of nations. And as we've just heard, he does a couple of really important things here. First is that God gives Abraham a new name, calling him Abraham. And and even the fact that he gives him a new name, it, it, it has significance in terms of the meaning of the name. As I said, it, it means, Abraham means a father of many nations. So even Abraham's name now, everyone, every time somebody refers to him by his name, Abraham's going to remember the promise. Hey, Abraham, it's me. I'm the father of many nations. It's not only a statement of the promise, But it's also a reminder, it's if you like, a statement of authority. The fact that God is stepping into this situation and he's saying, I am giving you a new name. God is establishing his right to do so. I mean, think about how we name things today. If you're a parent, you probably named your child. Why? Because, because that's kind of like a parental privilege, right? That's a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of your authority over them. We gave them that name. Uh, if somebody just walks up to you and they just call you some random name, you kind of might think to yourself, you don't have the right to call me that. You can't change my name. I once, uh, in, in school, I once had a teacher, and he was terrible at remembering names, and so he just said, oh, uh, I'm just going to call you Bob. I'm just going to call you Phil. I'm just going to, it's like, oh, I don't want to know my name. I gotta be honest, I didn't really like him in part because I'm like, that's presumptuous. You don't have that right. But God is reminding Abraham not only of his promise, he's also reminding him of his authority. But it's also a statement of affection, isn't it? I mean, as parents, we name our children. Something that's meaningful, something that, that, that we really like. We, in fact, oftentimes uh, we'll wrestle through. What are we going to call them? And we think of different things. Oh, I don't want to call them that because that reminds me of this person. But no, then we choose something. And say, oh, yeah, that, that's the name right there. And even with that, even after we have labored after all of that, trying to come up with a name to call our child, what do we then do? We call them by all sorts of nicknames, all sorts of pet names. And our kids like that when they're small. And as I'm discovering, because my kids are getting older, they don't like it so much when they're older. And they're like, Dad, don't call me that. But it's a sign of affection. I think here that God is reminding Abraham of not only the promise, He is not only making a statement of his authority, but he is also demonstrating his love and affection for his child. It's a beautiful picture. And he goes on here in this passage, even as we've heard read, God then pledges to Abraham an everlasting covenant. 
So much of what we see here is what we saw initially established in Genesis chapter 15. But here he goes a step further and he says, this covenant is not only with you and, and, and with your offspring, with, with Isaac who will be born to you, but also to all of the generations to come. And he says it will be an everlasting covenant. It's going to go on forever. And as a part of that, he says, notice he says on a couple of occasions here. In verse 7, he says, I will establish my covenant between you and, uh, uh, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then at the end of verse 8, he says, this is for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And so God is not only pledging this promise of offspring and of a land for them, but he actually is pledging himself to his people. God says, I pledge to be your God and for you to be my people. What a wonderful gift that is. God is not only giving us his promise, he's giving us himself. Given us himself this intimacy of relationship. And while it's true that what we read here specifically in Genesis chapter 17, this covenant was for the physical descendants of Abraham, the people of, of, of Israel. It's also true that to this day, God has not reneged on that. But, it, but for us here, as we gathered this morning in this place in Huntley in 2022 here at Springbrook, this is true for those of us who are in Christ in the sense that through Christ, we have been brought into a new covenant through his blood. And, and in the new covenant that we read about in the New Testament, what we discover is much the same in the sense that God himself through Christ has pledged himself to all who will receive Christ by faith. We see some wonderful parallels because God's promise continues. And so, for example, many of the promises that we see that were made in this covenant to Abraham, are, are, we, we can also see how the New Testament through the new covenant, through the blood of Christ, applies to we who believe. And so, for example, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we have this wonderful statement, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And so that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God himself has pledged himself to you as your father. And he calls you his child. I love what the old King James says here. It says, behold what manner of love the father has lavished unto us. That we should be called children of God and such we are. It's also true that, for example, in Revelation chapter 2, you remember here in Genesis 17, God changes his name. He gives him a new name. In, in Revelation chapter 2, we're told that, that for those who overcome, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who received it. Did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, 
God himself has a special name for you. He knows you by an affectionate, loving name that nobody else gets to use. Because he loves you. He delights in you. He's a father to his child. More than that, it's not only that, that, that he gives to us a new name, but look at this, in the very next chapter, Revelation chapter 3, the one who conquers. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. What's the saying? It's speaking about the fact that there is coming a day where, where in a way the beyond what we could even fathom right now, God is going to, in a sense, mark us with his name. I love the Toy Story movies. I think, for me, one of the most significant moments in those Toy Story movies, if you've ever seen them, is in a situation where Woody, the cowboy, who's a toy, because it's a story about toys, um, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that he's kind of forgotten who he is. And he's been trying to pursue something different. And, 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 and he looks down one day at his foot and the bottom of his foot and he kind of wipes it off and he sees there the name Andy scrawled on the bottom of his foot. Because you see, Andy is his boy. Andy is his child. Andy is the one who owns him, who loves him as his toy. And there's a turning moment in that, in that movie because Woody remembers who he belongs to. What God is saying here is that for all eternity, those who are in Christ are marked with his name, so that we would remember and so that we would display to others whose we are. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 17, as God is pledging himself to Abraham, is what we see in these promises here in the New Testament for those who are in Christ. That there is an intimacy of relationship, that there is a covenant of love, and that that pledge of himself results also in a distinct life that declares to others whose we are. In a sense, it's like being emblazoned with the mark on our very being. And one more. Revelation chapter 21 in particular talking about the new Jerusalem, that the heavenly dwelling, ultimately that we are looking forward to it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And forever and ever and ever we will be with him. And even way back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, as God has called Abraham to himself, he reminds him of this pledge of love, and he says, and I pledge myself to you, 
and to your offspring and to all who will come after you that they will be my people and I will be their God. Isn't it good to know that God has pledged himself in everlasting love to us? through Christ in everlasting love. But there's more than this in this passage. You see, here in Genesis chapter 17, he's not only declared this, he goes on to speak about a distinct mark. In fact, he calls his people to live distinctly. Now, the kind of distinction we're going to see here in this passage is a little bit different to the distinction that we are to bear today, but it's important that we understand this at least briefly. Verse my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, so we need to be careful we don't misunderstand this. He's not saying you only get to experience my covenant of love and my promise by doing this. That's not what he's saying. In fact, back in chapter 15, we saw that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that Faith was the starting place. What God is saying here is, here's my covenant, here's my promise. This is what I have pledged to do. Now, the way in which you demonstrate your belief, the way in which you put on display for others to see that you are part of this covenant, the way in which you emblazon yourself is to do this. And for Abraham, and for the people of Israel following, it was this, this sign. Notice he even uses that word, a sign of the covenant with circumcision. It says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What is that? Well, it's a refusal to participate in it, right? Oh, I'm not going to do that. Then we're setting ourselves against, we're saying, God, I don't believe you in this. I don't want any part of your covenant. And so he's saying that this is to be an enduring sign. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that here, while the mark of circumcision in the flesh was given to Abraham and his descendants, that it was merely to be, in a sense, a signpost that reflected or pointed to something else. And we actually see that all through the Old Testament, that circumcision itself was never supposed to be the thing. By the time we get to the New Testament and the early church, there's a major dispute over this because you've got those who are of Jewish heritage who are saying, oh, you want to follow Christ? You have to be circumcised and you've got to follow all the stuff in the law and then you can come to Jesus. 
you got the apostles who say, no, that's never been God's intention. You've missed the idea. It's not about that. And interestingly, they actually point back to Abraham to demonstrate the fact that that was never the case. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, right here in the Old Testament law, we see this idea that, that the, the sign of circumcision was supposed to be something more than just a physical mark. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And so even this physical circumcision was to reflect the circumcision of the heart. A mark on the heart that declared that it belongs to the Lord. And so, even when we get to the New Testament, this sign is still being misunderstood. And so the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Rome, says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. How? By the Spirit, not by the letter. In other words, not by a legalistic keeping of the rules. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, we don't live for the approval of people, but for the approval of God. And the point that he's making here is, yes, this was a gift and a sign. It was to be a reminder and a testimony to all of the generations who came after Abraham that they were part of this covenant of love. He says, but it was never about the sign and the symbol itself. And how often do we fall into this trap of trying to make the Christian life all about a, let, a, a set of um, uh, ritualistic religious practices when God has said, you are my child and I am your God. You are my people walk before me in covenant relationship. And that other stuff, flows out of that. Obedience always flows out of loving relationship. And so, as followers of Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. We don't need this physical circumcision that was given to Abraham and, uh, and, and his physical descendants because we have received the circumcision of the heart at that moment when we come to faith in Christ Jesus. But while we don't have this physical symbol, we still are to live the kind of distinct lives that Abraham and his offspring were called to live. You see, it was not only to be a reminder to them that they were participants in the covenant, but also a declaration to others that they were different, that they were set apart, that they belonged to God. There's a lot of different ways in which we do that. There are still some things in the Christian life that make a public declaration. And then, of course, there is the daily walk where we are to make a public declaration through the way that we live. So let's look briefly at those. The 
first of all, we are, we are to be distinct and we are to set apart. We are to display that we are in Christ for the purpose of what we might call invitation rather than segregation. Now, this is really important because the church has often made this mistake. In fact, the Jews made this mistake back as we read in the Scriptures. In the days of Jesus and the apostles, the Jews were making this mistake. In fact, they would look at everybody who was not Jewish and they would call them the uncircumcision. And that's if they were being polite. If they were not being polite, they called them the foreskin. It's not exactly a nice way of referring to people, right? But it was, it was seeing this, but, but because they had misunderstood that this sign was supposed to be one of invitation rather than segregation. In segregation, we say, hey, this is us. We're part of this group, and you're not. In invitation, in invitation, we live before God, recognizing the grace that we have been shown, rejoicing in all that he has done for us, Thankful for this covenant pledge of love under which we live through Christ. And as we live out that walk with Christ, we do it in such a way that puts him on display that people would see the supremacy of the life that is lived in Jesus and they'd be like, tell me more. I want to be a part of that too. And so invitation is the way that we live our lives should, should so draw people that they want to be a part of it. It's not that we close ourselves off and say, this is our group. You're not part of it. So we open ourselves up and say, come to Jesus and you can share these joys too. So we not only have that, but we have some marks that the scriptures actually gives us, which are a part of helping us to distinguish ourselves, to put on display that we are in Christ before a watching world. Again, we don't do circumcision, but the New Testament tells us that Baptism is actually, in a sense, the new circumcision. We see that in the book of Colossians. We're going to be studying Colossians this fall, uh, not only on Sunday morning, but in small groups. And I really want to encourage you even now, be thinking about getting into a small group this fall. It's going to be a great study through a fantastic letter in the New Testament. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, it's not a physical circumcision. How? By the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. What is the circumcision of Christ? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so there's a sense in which baptism is the, the sign and the symbol of our faith today as New Testament, New Covenant believers that, that circumcision was for those who were under the Old Covenant through Abraham. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, if you've never made that public declaration to say, hey, I am a part of this thing, Yes, I've trusted Jesus. Now I want to put that on display and declare it publicly. It's something that we're not only commanded to do, but it's a wonderful gift in which we get to, in a sense, mark ourselves before God and before the whole church and anyone who cares to see that we are with Christ and that He is with us. It's a testimony of what He has done through his death and resurrection and how we have died with him and been raised to newness of life 
in him. We also in the New Testament have another sign and symbol much akin to that, and it's the practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Whenever we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we do it here at spring, but the first Sunday of every month. And as we do that, we we not only get to remember what it is that Christ has done for us when he died on the cross to bear our sins in his body on the cross, and how he rose victorious to life, We not only get to remember that and then to look forward to his coming again and the fact that we will be with him forever as we've talked about. But we also get to do it in unity with one another. It's a declaration of the fact that we are a part of this thing. That we are included in this pledge, this covenant of love. That we are marked with follower of Christ. It's a reminder to ourselves again and a declaration to others again and again whenever we practice it. And even even the issue of church membership. We live in a day where people are like, "Ah, I don't really have to be a member of that. It's interesting. You'll be a member of a sports team. You'll be a member of the Rotary Club. You'll be a member of everything else. But nobody wants to be a member of a church. But you know, church membership has always been one of those things where you say, I identify myself as a part of this believing assembly of God's people. And I'm committing myself to them as they're committing themselves to me. And before the Lord, we're declaring together, we are the community of faith here on the street corner and wherever we live. So I want to encourage you you've never taken that step of baptism, if you've never taken that, if you, if, if you hold back when the table is served, or if you've never gone through the starting point workshop, which will be coming up again in just a few short weeks, learning more about the church here and how you can engage here as a part of the membership of this fellowship, then you would take that step. And finally, and I better be quick with this, that this chapter in Genesis 17 finishes up with what we might call the response of God's call to complete obedience. Genesis 17 says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Again, so we see the change of name here. Uh, uh, the, word, the name Sarah means princess. And we see the reason for that in just a moment. He says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her, hence the name princess. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, Thanks for the promise, and that's great and that, but, but why don't we just do this the easy route, and why don't you just let Ishmael be the son of promise? He says, what about Ishmael, that one who we learned about last week? He said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which, by the way, means he laughs, or he laughed. I will establish my covenant with him, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And again, there it is again, the promise. But he's drawing close. 
And then finally, the chapter ends by saying, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, uh, the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he circumcised him in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all of the men of his house, those born in his house, those bought with his money from a foreigner, they were all circumcised with him. A couple of things to note here. Twice, it says, that very day. Five times, it says, and he circumcised them, and he circumcised them, and he circumcised them. What's it pointing to? Abraham didn't delay, but he stepped out in faith and in full obedience to what God had commanded him. The response of God's call of love is obedience. Abraham fully obeyed God's command. And you know what? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be distinct. We're called to put that relationship, that covenant of love on display but we need to, one of the ways that we do that is, is through obedience to the Lord's command, to walk in his ways, to follow where he leads. And sometimes we make all sorts of excuses. We talked a few weeks ago about this issue of the crossroads of faith and fear. And we're like, I'm afraid to step out in that. Uh, we can come up with all sorts of excuses as to, well, now is just not a good time, God. But Abraham heard the call and he responded that very day. Sometimes we delay. It's like, you know, I'll get around to that later. Did you know that delayed obedience is disobedience? That often in our lives, said delay becomes a greater delay, which becomes a, de- a, de- a greater delay. I don't know what you have right now where God is, is prompting you, where he is calling you, where he's saying, get up and get to it. Do it today. Do it this week. Quit stalling. And be careful that we don't dip our toe in the water. You know how we do that? It's like, okay, I know you're telling me to do that, God, so I'm just going to test the water first. Trust me, circumcision was not a test the water type thing. It was sort of all or nothing, right? But think about this. We declare, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we have trusted him for our eternal salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, for our rescue from hell and judgment and wrath. And then we say, but you know, I'm just not really sure if I can trust you with my finances, God. I'm just not really sure if I can trust you with my calendar, God. I'm just not really sure if I can trust you with my career path, God. Don't delay. This kind of obedience often sounds so hard for us, but let me encourage you, it is not the kind of obedience where God is saying, you do this because I said it. He has every right to command that kind of obedience. But ours is a God who says, I love you. And I want you to experience the joy and blessing that comes from walking in my way. So step out in courageous faith and obedience. And you will find that it is the greatest place that you could ever imagine. And so, 
What do we do in response to all of this? Well, I want to be mindful of the fact that there are some of us who may be here this morning or watching online. And you've kind of been holding back. You've been checking out Jesus. You've been checking out the church. And we're so thankful that you're here. But you've never come to that place of trusting Jesus as your Savior. And, and part of the issue is the fact that just like people generations ago in the, uh, the, those, those uh, J- Jewish uh, uh, believers in the early church, you're kind of like, well, yeah, but don't I have to do something first? I've I got to get cleaned up. I'm not ready to come because I've got this thing I've got to do. God could never take me as I am. I've got some great news. There is nothing that you need to do to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. He is in the cleaning up business. But it's not because we bring anything. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we need to be saved. So if you are delaying, if you're making excuses, if you're saying, I don't feel like I'm good enough, then you are in the perfect place. You are the ideal candidate to cry out to Jesus and say, God, I want to be a part of this covenant of love. I want you to call me by a new name. Would you forgive my sin? Because I want to follow you. And as best as I know how, I don't even know how, God, but as best as I know how, here I am. I want my life to reflect not only to me, but to others around the greatness of who you are and the mercy and the forgiveness and the restoration that you do. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You want to learn more about what it is to be a follower of Jesus, either on your online communication card or the one right there in your row. We would love to hear from you. We want to meet with you. We want to help to get some resources to help you to take this next step in your journey of faith. For others of us, I've already talked about this. But it may be that the next step for you is a, a, a baptism. That you just need to say, I've kind of been holding back. It's a little embarrassing. I'm not really good in front of people. I know Pastor Rich would tell you, hey, that's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way for you to do it in an environment you're close, that, that you're comfortable with. I'm going to tell you, hey, this is really a public declaration. I want to encourage you. I understand not everybody's able to do that, but I want to encourage you to schedule some time on a Sunday morning to be baptized so that we can share together in the celebration of that. Because again, this is this marking ourselves publicly and saying, I'm stepping out on this crazy journey. And I want everyone to know that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And then finally, maybe some of us have taken that step. Maybe some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but the truth of the matter is that we kind of are are sort of underground Christians. The idea of being marked with something It's fine when it comes to being a Cubs fan or a Bears fan or, God forbid, a Packers fan. But when it comes to being a Christian, we kind of like to keep our head low. What would it look like in your life and mine, even this week, whether it be in your school, whether it be in the place of, uh, of work that you spend so many hours at each day, whether it be in the club that you're a part of, whether it be a part in the community in which you live with your neighbors, what would it look like for us to raise the flag 
in our lives that would, that would just in a small way just let people know that we are marked in a covenant of love, that we are followers of Jesus, that he is our Lord, our master, that the flag that we follow, the standard that we, that we wage war under, the path that we walk, the team that we're on, is that of Jesus Christ. What might that look like for you? Maybe for some, it's when somebody's sharing something that's going on in their life, and you say, you know what? Um, when I'm going through some tough stuff, I, I, I try to take that to God in prayer. Would, would it be okay if I prayed for you about this? Uh, maybe for others of us, it might be a matter of, of, of we go into work tomorrow and, and, and we're talking about our weekend. It's like, yeah, and you know what? I, I was at church yesterday and the pastor was talking about this and it just really made me think. And it reminded me of just how amazing Jesus is and how he has changed my life. We don't have to go into a full-scale present, but what would it look like to put on display for others around us so that we could say with confidence, there's not one person that I interact with on a daily or on a regular basis who doesn't know whose team I'm on, whose covenant I'm a part of, whose jersey I wear. God, our God, has pledged himself to his people in a covenant of love. And he's called us to live lives that are distinct before a watching world. By his grace and in his power, may we do that each day. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithful example of godly men and women who have gone before us, even back to the days of Abraham. But most of all, we thank you for Christ. And we thank you that through Christ, we not only have forgiveness of sins by faith in him because of his finished work for us on the cross, because the grave is empty. But Lord, we also have been included in this incredible thing this covenant of love, this people of God. Thank you that you call those of us who have come to you by faith your very own children, that you delight in us. May we learn to so delight in you and put you on display that through our words, through our actions, through every part of our lives, that we would first of all daily remember who we belong to, and that we would courageously declare and demonstrate to others that we have been marked through Christ. May people see and be drawn to come to the Savior, even because of your gracious working in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise together one more time in body or in spirit and respond in worship to this word we've received today. shine
pray now that you will go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in his name, and we will see you next Sunday.